Christ. But what I want us to do again this morning is just to pull four very important words out of this text that I really think could describe or summarize the entire gospel of John. The first of those four words is the word sign. John says there at verse 30, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples. If you know anything at all about John's gospel, you know that it is kind of unique among the four gospel accounts. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And all four of those writers write about Jesus Christ. They tell us about some of them about his birth. They tell us about his life. They record different conversations that Jesus had with people along the way. They talk to us about miracles that he performed. Uh, they all four, of course, record his death, his burial, and his resurrection. They talk to us about his, his ascension and some last instructions that he gave to the apostles and the disciples before he went back to his Father in heaven. But John is a little bit different in his account. Oftentimes you will have the same conversation or the same miracle or the same teaching that was recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but John leaves that out or John decides to go in a different direction. It's different in its perspective about the life of Jesus Christ. It's different many times in the chronology where maybe again Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of follow somewhat in the same similar chronological order with some events. There are different events that John talks about in the life of Jesus Christ that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not describe. There is a different audience, of course, that John is writing to here. Uh, it's all to all of us, obviously, that are believers in Christ and even to those who are outside of Christ. But he was writing to a different audience than Matthew was writing to or that Mark or Luke was addressing. It has maybe somewhat of a different purpose as John really states that as we're looking at today. But even as you go back to the beginning of the gospel in John chapter 1, he begins there by saying that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And in the beginning, that is Jesus the Christ. He is eternal. He is an eternal being. He is God himself being God in the flesh as he goes on to say there in chapter 1. And such is true, I think, when it comes to this particular word, sign. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as you read through their Gospels, they regularly refer to the supernatural things that Jesus did here on earth as miracles or wonders or powers. But John often uses this word, signs. And so there is something significant, I think, about that. We're not going to look at all of those references, obviously, throughout the Gospel this morning, but I want to just take you to a few of those. First of all, from the very first sign that John records for us in his gospel, when Jesus turned the water into wine there in Cana of Galilee, you might remember the, the situation that has arisen here that Jesus and some of his family, his mother is here at a wedding feast and they have run out of wine. And so his mother says to him, they have no wine in verse 3. And Jesus said to her in verse 4, Woman, what does that have to do with, with us? My hour has not yet come. I think Jesus' mother, kind of like his disciples, were just looking at this situation from a human earthly standpoint and saying, you're here at the wedding feast. You have the power to do something. We have run out of wine. You solve this problem. You make this situation get better. And I think Jesus was almost saying to his mother, that's really not why I came to earth, <laughs> to make things well at a wedding feast. And yet he still takes advantage of this opportunity to turn the water into wine. 
But notice what John says to us about all of this at verse 11 here in John chapter 2. He says, This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him that there was a purpose even in this miracle of turning the water into wine. There was a purpose not just to wow the crowd here at the wedding feast, but there was a purpose in hopefully this audience, however many people were gathered here, of realizing that He is the Christ, the Son of God, that He deserves their full attention, that He deserves their glory and their honor and their praise, that they would come to the point where they would believe that He's not just a good man, that He's not just a carpenter's son from Nazareth, but He is the Christ, God in the flesh. Over into chapter 4, we find John using this same terminology again to talk about Jesus Christ as he has healed a man's son who was sick even to the point of death. And notice what John says about that. Again, he's giving his commentary after this miracle has taken place. He says, this is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. The emphasis again that John has upon Jesus doing signs. And then several references in chapter 6 of this same gospel. In chapter 6, as Jesus was about to feed the 5,000, John says to us at verse 2, a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. At verse 14, as Jesus has already fed the 5,000, John makes this observation, Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Down at verse 26, uh, Jesus, the, as he has already fed the 5,000, and now a number of this crowd, it seems, returns to him as he gets out of the boat there on the Sea of Galilee and walks on land again. And Jesus answered and said, John says here in verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He was wanting to get them to think about their motivation. Were they really just coming to Jesus because they wanted their, their stomachs filled again? Or were they really coming to Jesus because they believed that he was the Christ, the Son of God? And then here at verse 30, as this conversation continues, John says that they... The Jewish audience here said to him, Jesus, what then do you do for a sign so that we, we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? It's kind of uh, strange <laughs> to me that they've just seen a sign. They, they have been fed. And yet they're asking Jesus, just show us another sign. What, where are you here? Who are you? What kind of work do you do so that we can believe? John, again in his purpose statement of this gospel, said that many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. What is a sign? Well, it ought to be obvious to us, not just as we have read these particular passages, not just in the way that John uses that particular word here in his gospel, but just in our everyday life. Maybe we don't think about this much. I really don't think about it much, but maybe you can think about this as you travel home or tomorrow just think about all the signs that we see around us every day. As we're driving down the road, as we're driving down the highway, that there are all kinds of road signs. Uh, there may be a, a sign that says caution. There may be a sign that is telling us the next exit, uh, this is that particular road. Or as you're going down the interstate, oftentimes they have those blue signs before you get to the exit. And it will tell you there's, there is food, there's these restaurants, there are gas stations, uh, 
different things. Maybe there's some kind of attraction that you can see when you get to that particular exit. And those signs we understand are not the real thing. It is not the gas station itself. It is not the restaurant is there itself on the side of, of the highway. But it is something that is pointing to something else. It is a marker. It is a guidepost, if you will, that is pointing to something greater. And so I believe John is using this word sign here in the Gospel of John in the same way. That those signs, the things that Jesus did were not the be-all, end-all, but he turned the water into wine. He healed the nobleman's son. He raised, here in the Gospel of John, over in chapter 11, he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And he did all of those things and many more, John says, that we don't even have recorded for us to point to himself and to point to his mission, why he was here on earth, and to point to his message as being the greatest message and the one that we need to pay attention to and follow in our lives. And so while neither his audience then nor now always understands perhaps the message that Jesus is trying to convey, Jesus didn't do signs, I don't think, just for amusement. He wasn't some traveling circus that came along, and he's just a sideshow that everybody can ooh and awe about as they look at these miracles that Jesus was performing. Nor did Jesus perform any of these signs that John or Matthew, Mark, or Luke record for us for his own self-advancement so that he could set up some worldly, earthly kingdom and he could be an earthly king like many of the Jews had in their own mind and he could take a great following of people after him. No, he did all of these signs, I believe, to point his audiences to his father, but also to point his audiences to himself and to remind them so that they could come to the conclusion that many people came to that he is divine and to remind them of his mission to come and to seek and save the lost, to remind him of his message that they needed to repent and follow him. Well, John wrote here in his gospel to help us clearly see the many signs that Jesus did. Are, are we seeing those today? As we read through, not just John, but as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see evidence recorded for us in Scripture about all the signs that Jesus performed, are we sometimes mesmerized that Jesus could perform those miracles, that he could use that supernatural power and just be awed by that? Or are we letting those signs perform the intended function for which Jesus gave them, that they might point us to him himself, that they might help us better understand his mission and come to more clearly see his message and our need for him in our lives. As we come back to John's purpose statement, the second word that we want to think about this morning is the word that is found here in both of these verses in verse 30 and 31, that is the word written. John goes on to say that there were many other signs that Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written. Here in this purpose statement, John again says, Jesus did many other signs that he did not record in this gospel. I want you to turn over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 for just a moment. John chapter 7 and notice what is said to us there at verse 31. Again, one of these conversations that Jesus is having with the Jews and not just with the common Jews, but 
specifically with their leadership, and they, he has shown himself, proved himself by the miracles, wonders, and signs that he did, that he really is the Christ. He has the power of God at his disposal, and yet they were trying to dismiss him. I don't know if they ever discounted any of the signs as saying that really didn't happen, that didn't take place. But they said because they had this preconceived notion that he didn't fit their mold or their idea of what the Messiah should be, that he really can't be from, Christ, from God, that he must be doing the work of the devil. So in one of these conversations here, we find John says to us at verse 31 of chapter 7, but many of the crowd believed in him and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? I think many in this crowd, as John makes the observation to us, that Jesus, as they had followed him for this length of time, as they had observed what he had done, as they had listened to his teaching, they realized that Jesus did so many signs that many people thought there's not going to be another person that will come after him that will do more. And so the sheer quantity of signs, I think, should have pointed every Jew to the the truth that Jesus is divinity, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And that's not even to mention the quality of all of those miracles, wonders, and signs. Jesus didn't begin to heal someone and he say, well, wait a minute, I need a little bit more time. Wait, wait a minute, this is not really going to work. Or, you know, close your eyes. Uh, I've got to pull a trick over you or something like that. All of these miracles that he did were true. And even again, the religious leadership could not speak against them from that standpoint. And so the quantity, but also the quality. And the crowd, many in the crowd again here are saying at John 7 and verse 13, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? I don't know exactly how many miracles, how many signs Jesus performed. Because as we're reading here and thinking about this morning, John says that he did many other signs which are not recorded here. But out of all the dozens or hundreds or maybe even thousands of signs that Jesus did during his three-year earthly ministry, it is, it is impressive to me that the, the Apostle John chose only seven of those to present here in his gospel, at least, as sufficient evidence for us to believe in Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. I don't know exactly why the Apostle John chose seven. If you think about biblical numerology, we think about the number seven as being completeness, wholeness. But surely Jesus did many other signs. Again, as we said at the beginning, you think about John's gospel, and it is unique in many aspects compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We know that there are signs that those three writers record that John doesn't record. But he just said, I'm going to pick out seven of these signs and that will be enough evidence for people to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Sometimes we may run into people, sometimes we may even think ourselves that, that say something like this. Well, you know, like the crowds were doing after they had been fed the 5,000, you know, what sign do you do? Just, just show us some other sign. The religious leaders kind of said the same thing when Jesus was hanging on the cross, didn't they? Just come down from the cross and we'll believe if you show that you really have the power to take yourself down from this cross, to get yourself out of this crucifixion, then we'll believe. And Jesus was saying to them, I've already done enough signs. 
I've already shown more than enough evidence for you to come to the conclusion that I am the Christ, the Son of God. But how many signs do we need today to believe in Jesus for who He claimed to be? I think it's much fewer than many people think. Something that John wrote at the very end of his gospel in John chapter 21 at verse 25, the very last words of this gospel account of the life of Christ John said this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which, if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Jesus performed signs throughout his life. And yet John and the other gospel writers, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and through the providence of God himself, have decided that these seven John has are enough for us to come to the correct conclusion about Jesus. But more than that, I want you to notice that John not only said here in his purpose statement that we're looking at today that there are many other signs that Jesus did which are not recorded in his gospel or any gospel, but he also said there at verse 31 of John 20, but these have been written. John says that he wrote about these seven signs in his gospel account of the life of Christ. Although obviously none of us who are sitting here this morning lived during the days of Jesus Christ and therefore we did not see with our physical eyes these signs. We were not there in that audience of the 5,000 that were fed. We were not there at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee when he turned the water into wine. We were not there at the tomb of Lazarus when he said, come forth, and Lazarus came forth from the grave. But there are men like John who were eyewitnesses to those things, and they wrote them down, and through the power and providence of God, they have been preserved for us for a reason. I want you to think about something the Apostle John wrote in his first epistle as we made reference to in the introduction to our lesson just a moment ago as John was telling his audience and us why he was writing this particular epistle. Listen listen to where John began with his epistle. 1 John chapter 1, he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. You know, John and the other apostles and other disciples that walked with Jesus, they had seen all of that firsthand, hadn't they? They they were there for many of those conversations when Jesus maybe was talking to the woman at the well or when he was talking to the woman there in that big crowd that had an issue of blood, when he was there to raise Lazarus from the dead. They were there on the scene. But had those things impressed them and had they come to the conclusion that Jesus really is is who he is claiming to be, And had that message just died with them, it would not have helped us at all. But John says, as you notice here in these few verses, it's almost like he's just really repeating himself. The things that we have heard, the things that we have seen, the things that we have looked at, the things that we have touched. Verse 3, again, the things that we have seen, the things that we have heard. He says about all those things we proclaim to you 
But how is he proclaiming it to them and to us? He says in verse 4 again, These things we write. The written word, I would suggest to you, has just as much power, if not more so, to convince and to convict us of the deity of Jesus Christ. And we might think, well, it it would have really been a blessing for us to have lived in the first century, to have walked with Jesus, to have heard his teachings, and to have seen the miracles that he performed. And if I had done that, you know, my faith just would be a lot stronger than it is today. But I believe the written word has just as much power, if not more so, as if we had been there on those occasions. And that's exactly what it's intended to do. I believe we can have every confidence in the world that John, as we're thinking about his gospel today, but also the other gospel writers, that they wrote an accurate account. They gave us a true record of his life, of his death, of his resurrection. But I want us to ask ourselves the question this morning, are we reading that? (laughs) It's, It's been written for us, and that is great. But are we reading that? Are are we digesting that? Are we thinking about what Scripture tells us about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Are we coming to know Him? As has already been stated so, so beautifully for us this morning. The third word that we want to focus upon here in John chapter 20 is the word believe. John goes on to say that all of these many other signs Jesus did, which are not written in this book, but these have been written. Why, John? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Why did John write these signs, these seven signs? Why did he record the words and the works of Jesus Christ for us? It is so that every person who reads and reflects upon the gospel of John will come to this conclusion that they will come and see the evidence for themselves and they will decide that they want to believe that the carpenter's son from the little town of Nazareth, that he truly is the Christ. He truly is the Messiah of God. Notice a couple of other things that John wrote about this. Again, at the very end of his gospel in chapter 21, this time at verse 24, John made this observation. He says, this is the disciple, and I think he's talking about himself. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Back in chapter 19, at verse 35, after Jesus has died there upon the cross, and you remember that Uh, Nicodemus and uh, Joseph of Arimathea come to take his body down. Uh, Notice what John says here. He says that he, John 19 and verse 35, he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. This is why John wrote his gospel. This is why I would suggest to you Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote their gospel accounts about the life of Jesus Christ it wasn't so that it could be a thrilling novel that could, people could read for hundreds or thousands of years. But it was so that everyone who reads these words and really reflects upon them may make the decision in their life that they're going to believe in Jesus as the Christ of God. The evidence that Jesus gave and the signs that he performed, it did produce belief in the minds of many as we've already looked at this morning Many who saw them, but not in everyone. If we go back to that particular 
text that we read just a moment ago in John 7 and verse 31. Yes, John says there that there were many in the crowd who believed him, but that tells us that not everyone in the crowd believed in Jesus. That there were some, maybe even many, who decided that they had looked at the evidence, they had heard Jesus talk, they had seen the miracles that he had performed, and yet for whatever reason they were not going to believe that he truly was the Christ of God. Notice over in chapter 12 of the Gospel of John that uh, John chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 17, as Jesus is coming here into the city of Jerusalem before his crucifixion, uh, John says to us there at verse 17, So the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. And then down in verse 37, uh, toward the end of this particular chapter, John also makes the observation to us, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Uh, We know from other passages that there were some, especially among the religious Jewish leadership, that felt the pressure, they felt peer pressure. Because they were in the positions that they were in, they didn't want to lose those positions. They didn't want the scribes and the Pharisees to kick them out of the synagogue or out of the temple or out of their position of power and influence. And for that reason, they decided not to believe, at least publicly. But there were lots of reasons, just like there are today. Not everyone that saw the signs that Jesus performed came to believe in him as the Christ of God. And so seeing that evidence really, I think, left people with a choice, just like it does today. You can look at the same evidence in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and one person look at those Gospels and that evidence that is left for us and come to the conclusion that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And another person can read the very same words that have been written and recorded for us, and they can come to a conclusion that he's not who he claimed to be. And they are not going to make the decision that they're going to submit themselves to to him and make him Lord of their life. But the evidence has been laid before us, just as it was for those who walked and talked with Jesus firsthand. John, as well as the other gospel writers, I believe, left a mountain of evidence to move all of us to faith in Jesus Christ. The signs have been recorded for us. They have been written for us. The question we need to ask ourselves is, do we really believe what is stated? And the fourth and final word that helps us understand really the entire gospel of John is the word life. John goes on to say back here in our text in John 20 at verse 31, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You know, as important as it, as it is for us to believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and that is vitally important. I believe John was saying to his audience and to us that that just in and of itself, believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be is not really the end goal of John's gospel. No, he says, I wrote about these seven signs that Jesus performed. I recorded all these words that Jesus spoke so that you may believe so that you will have life in Him. 
Jesus said this about himself in this same gospel, didn't he, in John chapter 14 and verse 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was saying that true life, that which is eternal life, is only found in Jesus Christ. If we take Jesus Christ out of our thinking, if we take Jesus Christ out of our living, there is no such thing as true life. I'm not saying to you that life we experience here on earth is not something that's real. It is real. But it ought to be pointing us toward the greater life, that which is true, that which is lasting, that which is eternal. Jesus would say this at the very beginning of this gospel, that true life, eternal life, is really only given to those who believe in Jesus to the point of taking that truth and putting it into practice in their life or walking in the light. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, listen to the words of Jesus here as he was talking to Nicodemus at night. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. That sounds kind of similar to what we're thinking about in the passage in John 20 this morning, doesn't it? John's stating his purpose statement at the very end, but he really had that thought in mind, I think, all throughout this gospel account that Jesus is saying, whoever believes in me will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Jesus himself is making the connection early on in the Gospel of John making the same connection that John is making here toward the end of his gospel, that it is so important for us to believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, because it is only believing in Him that provides us with true eternal life. And then I like the statement of Jesus as He is praying there in the garden in John chapter 17, as He just very simply but powerfully says to us at verse 3, He says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He says this is the essence of eternal life. This is what we all ought to be striving for. This is why it's important that John wrote the signs that he did so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in Him, we might have eternal life In His name, Jesus says to us here in this text that eternal life means truly knowing God the Father and God the Son. And even though He doesn't state it here in this passage, I have to think that includes knowing God the Spirit as well. That we are in a true relationship with Him. That we are growing in our knowledge of Him. And that knowledge, as Lance pointed out, is not just something that's intellectual in our minds, but it is to be in our hearts. And it is to guide the choices and the decisions that we make every day as we live here upon earth. John again said that he wrote the gospel that he did about Jesus Christ so that we may have life 
in His name. What about you this morning? Do you have life? I mean, you may look at yourself. Other people may look at you. And maybe you, maybe you have good health. Maybe you have a great job. Maybe things are going well in your family. Maybe you're prospering financially. It seems like everything is going well for you. And someone would look at you or you look at yourself and say, sure, I, I have life. I'm full of life. <laughs> I'm full of energy and strength and vitality and everything seems to be going well. That's not what I'm asking you this morning. That's not what John, why John wrote his gospel. He's asking and I'm asking you, do you truly have life? That which is true life that which is life everlasting and that can only be found in believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and living out that belief in our life every day. Though John wrote his record of Jesus Christ in his life over 1,900 years ago, he wrote it for us so that we may believe and have life in him. What about you this morning? Have you read the Gospel of John? Have you read any of the Gospels? about Jesus Christ? And if you have, do you really believe that? Do you think, well, that's just something that happened about 2,000 years ago and it really doesn't have any importance or relevance or meaning for my life today? If you say that you believe it, has it given you life? Because in some sense, as Jesus again said there in John 17 and verse 3, that this is eternal life to know the Father and to know the one whom he has sent. And so I would suggest to you that in some ways eternal life begins now. If we really know God, that we have access to that which is eternal life. Because if your answer to any or all of those questions is no, I would suggest to you this morning that you're missing out. You're missing out on what God intended for you to be. But you don't have to. You can make a change in your life this very moment. You can decide that I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm not going to live for this life and all that the world has to offer to me, but I'm going to live and strive for that which is truly everlasting life that is only found in Jesus Christ. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, to make that first step this morning to come before this assembly to confess your faith that Jesus truly is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Because you've examined the evidence for yourself and you believe that it's credible, it's true. And then to repent of your sins, to turn from living life your way to living it His way. And then to be immersed in water, to be buried in the waters of baptism with Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And rise as a new, purpose, new person with a new purpose. And that to be to show your belief in Christ so that you can have eternal life. Maybe as a Christian you've done those things, but you've wandered away from that path somewhere, and the things of this world have caught more of your attention and time and focus and money and energy than pursuing the things of God. And if that's you, you need to come back to Him and get back on the right track. Maybe you're just struggling, as we all do from time to time, and you need the help, the encouragement, the prayers of your brethren here. As you examine your own life and your own heart, if you see that there is a need there that only Jesus can fill, I want you to do something about that this morning. I want you to respond to his good invitation now as we stand and as we sing.